0: Now in North Carolina at the beautiful campus of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Bob, I hope you're ready for
1: the next episode. Jimbo, I am ready, but I'm playing hurt. Playing hurt? Yeah. Talk to me about that. Jimbo, I was walking Daisy Pup this morning with Barb, and I got stung by a bee in the Achilles. Oh, in the Achilles heel. In the Achilles heel. That's rough. Um, So if if you were watching, you would have had... It would have been interesting, so... (laughs) I am. Daisy got the zoomies for those that if you have dogs or you don't, do you, do you know what zoomies are? I have no idea what a zoomie is. When a dog just des- decides I'm going to expend a lot of energy right now by running about yeah. and being excited. Okay. My kids get that. Okay, <laughs> So you don't have them on a leash, do you? No. All right. well good. So Daisy Pups got the zoomies this morning at the end of our walk, which is kind of strange because she usually is kind of tired at the end of the walk. She gets the zoomies. So she just hauling around, just running around and she's, she evidently, Jimbo, stirred up a pocket of bees that were on some clover. Oh. And while she's got zoomies, we're laughing about it. And then I step in the pocket of bees. Ooh. And so I get stung by one of them. So Daisy's got zoomies. I start screaming, and Barb like, what? What? What's going on? What's going on? So you got this dog that's going crazy. You got me screaming out in agony. And then you got my wife who's saying, what's going on? So... I'm playing a little bit hurt tonight.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would have enjoyed watching it, I think, (laughs) from a distance,
1: (laughs) safe distance from the bees. Yep. Yep. So here we are at Southeastern. So what are we doing here at Southeastern?
0: Well, we are speaking at the fourth annual AMS conference here at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary at the invite of our great friend, the missiologist, the original original boot camp missiologist, Dr. Keelan Cook and uh who's now like the boss man of the whole mission center and so excited to get to hang out with him uh we got to eat some good seafood tonight with our buddy Walker Armstrong, who's been on here, the Velvet Hammer, and Josh Ellis, who uh, painfully pointed out to us that he has yet to be a guest. Well, he on, was on, on with the, Keelan. Yeah, he was on with Keelan. He said that didn't count because it was mostly Keelan talking. But. <laughs> well,
1: he was Keelan's boss at the time, so he could have told Keelan to shut up. He could have. He still could. <laughs> yeah, he can. <laughs> He's at the Union Baptist Association. We still love Josh and uh, had a great seafood time at, at uh, what was it called? Shuckers. Shuckers. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And we had uh, char grilled oysters, which I'll tell you, man, I was I was curious, and uh, I was let down. It was. I have to agree. Uh, char grilled oysters. Once you've had them in New Orleans, it's really hard to have them anywhere else. But the shrimp and grits was pretty fantastic.
1: Yeah, stuff mahi was good. So for those of you uh, foodies, uh, North Carolinian pastors and and uh, guys. Check out uh, Shuckers. Yeah,
0: give it a shot. Not the char grilled oysters, but go for everything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you get a waiter named Vince or Ben, tell him we said hey. <laughs> hey, one of the things that uh, we're going to talk to these guys about, that or you're going to talk to these guys about at this conference that I think connects to our previous episode. So our previous episode, we talked about how revitalization is always possible because with God, all things are possible but it's not always probable. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of factors as to why that is, is a true thing. But one of the things I think that makes it not always as probable is an ingrained mindset that happens with us over time and kind of mission drift. And uh, there are things that happen in our brain even with that in, in groupthink and how we we all end up kind of aligning together. And as the mission drift happens, it becomes a corporate thing. And, and so there's kind of a mindset that has to happen if if a church is going to really see any kind of significant
1: renewal that's missing in a lot of churches. Absolutely. So this is part of the talk I'm actually giving tomorrow. So this podcast comes out on Wednesday. So uh, tomorrow, Tuesday here, I'll be talking about how do you have a leadership mindset or developing a leadership mindset towards revitalization and replanting. Now, we'll be primarily talking to AMS leaders, DOMs. But I think this really would be helpful for pastors as well to understand. Mm-hmm. So um, this all comes from uh, originally what spurred this idea on uh, for me, Jimbo, and thinking about change in brain science is one, I was doing a consultation for a church about five people. And uh, bottom line, they, they loved our advice. They said, thank you. They said, we're going to meet about it and pray about it. And then they sent us an email back that said, Thank you for explaining all of the courses of options and how difficult uh, revitalization would be. We feel led after having a discussion on Sunday night that we're just going to stay the course. Mm. Right. So you have five members all over 75 plus. Yeah. They're just Jimbo, they're just going to stay after it. Yeah. And so I left that going. That's not the first time I've had that conversation, but what is it about? The thinking of those church members, and then what is it about the way I present, you know, future options that seems to be disconnecting?
0: Well, and I think an important thing is for our listeners. So many of our listeners, when we talk to them, will share frustrations in the churches they're leading like this, mm-hmm. and they'll feel like they're all alone. Yep. So I think one thing is understand it's not unique to your situation. You're not alone in this. Uh, this is this is a pretty prevalent problem in dying churches. When you share this story amongst people who are revitalizing churches, replanting churches, and people who are helping those people through cons- consulting and coaching, man, you can start to share war stories and spend all night yeah. share- sharing war stories from this. So what is it What is it about the brain that makes this so difficult?
1: Yeah. So I, I started doing some research and read a book that uh, was super helpful, a book that you read and recommended. Uh, it's called The Other Half of Church talking about how brain science and stagnation uh, get set into a congregation. And so doing that, doing some online research, there's there's about five things that I came up with in terms of these are things that we need to know about how people think and we need to know about what they do in terms of just brain and brain science. So the first one is this is not going to be this is not going to be earth shattering, but I think it's going to be said in ways that will be helpful for the application for the leader uh, in a replant or a revitalization. The first thing is your experiences shape your brain and your reactions, right? So Jimbo, you and I both have things that we're afraid of mm-hmm. and that we're fearful, fearful about or we're hesitant around. So whatever that is, for me, it's snakes, Jimbo. I can't stand snakes. Mm-hmm. I had a bad experience when I was a young kid fishing with my dad, and we were fishing off a, a rock dam, and there were tons of water moccasins around, so... I have always been fearful of snakes. It probably didn't help that my dad said, like, run. <laughs> so I'm afraid of snakes, but there's a lot of things that I'm not afraid of, right? And uh and people in churches are fearful of a lot of things. And so if you're working with senior adults, they're going to have had experiences, maybe previous revitalization or replant pastors. Mm-hmm. Some experiences they had with him, maybe a, a DOM or an AMS leader, maybe a church consultant that have brought some you know new ideas, and it created a, a sense of fear for them, right? So they're they're afraid. Yeah, you
0: know? the the church that I I pastored uh, was really scared of some sort of like charismatic takeover. Oh, and it took me a while to figure out. And so one of them was telling me from from their version of reality, from their perception of reality. One of their pastors had grown the church, and it had started to grow in its heyday and really become a, a pretty sizable church. And then he went off to some conference, and he came back and went full-blown charismatic. That was their... But like tambourines
1: and banners in the middle. Well,
0: audio. that's all they said. So oh, I did. Okay. All they said is he went full-blown charismatic. So I was like, oh, wow, what kind of conference did he go to that would change him so quickly? Not a NAM conference. <laughs> well, so I started to ask people who were there during that time... And here's all that happened. He went to a purpose-driven life conference and he came back and he rose he raised his hands. Oh in, my gosh. In worship. And uh-huh. he encouraged others to raise their hands in worship. And but here's the deal, their interpretation of that was like that this was a really bad thing. Well, and here's I had no idea. So I come in and I'm like super expressive Jimbo and I'm like raising my hands and swaying back and forth and clapping every once in a while and <laughs> I'm probably giving them an aneurysm. Like, they're scared to death. What is this guy going to do? And so their experiences had given them great fear. And I
1: didn't even know what I was walking into. There you go. So perfect example of the challenge that we face when we don't know the experience. So good dialogue, good conversation. Here's another one uh, that we need to know about how people process things, how the brain works. Habits and responses become hardwired into your brain. Right. So Jimbo, we we do a certain set of actions or we have a certain response and we have that over and over. It it creates a groove or a neural pathway in your brain. So you do it all the time. Right. So Mm -hmm. if you have a door at your house that sticks a certain way, and the first time you try to open it, you know, that you don't realize what's going on. And and so finally you realize, oh, I've got to push down on the doorknob to open it. Right. And yeah. that gets said in your brain. And so when you walk over to that door, you don't even think about it anymore. You just push down on the doorknob and open that up. Like for me, when I'm visiting my mom, which I did recently, she has a, a small car. And so I have to, because I'm a taller guy, there's a certain way they have to hold my head when I get in the mm-hmm. car. Right. So yep. here's the deal. Churches have the same people in churches have the same kind of response to uh, Sunday morning or worship or guest preachers or the DOM who comes to visit them and have a meeting with them. They have a, a certain response that just becomes part of their history. So the the challenge is that your repeated habits and thoughts just get set in your mind. And so it's really hard to break out of those things.
0: There was an article, uh, I was just remember as you were saying that, uh, that came out several years ago called Change or Die. And it was a medical research study on when people had major heart issues and had bypasses, and they went to the doctor, and the doctor said, look, you're going to have this bypass, but if you don't change your behavior, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. If, if you don't change your eating habits, things like that, you're going to die. So they started to study how many of them actually changed their behavior. 90% did not. Yeah. 90% said, I had a bypass. This has gotten serious. I hear you clearly. If I don't change my habits, I will die. And they just kept eating
1: the way that they were eating yeah. before. People like them some Long John Silvers. Yes, sir.
0: <laughs> yes, sir. And and so it just it stays with. I mean, it's really really
1: hard mm-hmm. to to break habits and and rhythms. Here's the next one. Your brain has a natural negativity bias or a protective bias. So. We want things to be stable. We want things to be predictable. Even those who like a lot of change want it within a certain amount of parameters. Yeah. There's every, there's something about us that when there's a new stimulus, there's a new idea, a new thought, a new way of doing something, we go, I, mean, I don't know, man. Like I, I just want things to be the way they are because we crave stability, right? And it represents something for us. And so I, I think one of the things that is very true about a decline church is there. It's the same. It's been the same Mm -hmm. for years and years and years. And so if a new pastor is listening, a new new boot camper is trying to bring some change in, he's just got to know that that change, whatever it is, it could be something very positive. It could be viewed as something negative. And then here's the next one. Thinking is contagious. So one of the research articles that I read said that if we are around happy people, we tend to be happy. If we're around depressed people, we tend to be depressed. And it went into health habits. Like if if you are a person who struggles with eating, and you hang around people who struggle with eating, then you're all going to struggle with eating because our thinking is contagious. And I've sat in a in a meeting with uh, folks, and in, in this meeting with this church that I I spoke about, when we were asking the simple question of, "Hey, how would?" your church, if it had kept up with the times and the community and the changing face of the community, if you were reaching young people today, how would your church look different? Mm. The majority of those folks could say how they thought the church would look different if they had stayed you know, uh, missionally active and were reaching young people and kids and families. But when they listed out all of those things, they didn't like them. Yeah, they didn't. That's not the way they wanted the church to be. Yeah. Right. And so that thinking had become contagious within that church body.
0: Yeah, I think it's so difficult and we don't need to underestimate how hard that is for them. I I would reference back to we did the episode on the emotional cycle of change. I think that would apply to Mm -hmm. this part of the conversation that we're having. Um, and so I I would go back and listen to that and think about that. But even something I said a a lot of episodes ago is think about little things in your life as they change and how they frustrate you and think about how that, that grows exponentially as you get older. And I was telling you uh, recently, Bob, there's a, there's a monthly pastoral cohort I go to in a, in a church in our city. And, uh, it's a life giving moment for me every month and I love it. And I have this pattern of there's a local coffee shop right across the street from this church. So I usually go about an hour, two hours early, go sit down and read and do some work and just have a little time to myself with a good cup of coffee. And then I walk over to the church. Well, a couple months ago, I go for my cohort meeting and the local coffee shop is closed. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised at how much that upset me. Like that really frustrated me (laughs) that my coffee shop was like, did they not know the rhythm that I have monthly? I mean, surely my monthly business was enough to keep this place open. And and they did not care. They disregarded all my needs and they shut down. Absolutely. And it really frustrated me. But I try to hold on to moments like that on purpose and think, okay, I was kind of frustrated with that. But what if every store I love has closed or changed? And every process of how you do anything has changed. And the only thing constant in my life were Sunday mornings. And it was like a refuge for me. like It was like my safe place, the one place where everything stayed the same. And all of a sudden, some guy's coming in here and telling me, we got to change everything.
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely hard. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jimbo, was this after you turned 40 or was this before you turned 40? This was before shortly before 40. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, it just gets worse when you get older. <laughs> 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 and I have to turn the radio down while I'm trying to find the directions of the GPS. All
0: I know is my shoulder's
1: been hurting since the day I turned 40. But <laughs> Yes. Yes. I hear it. Here's the last one. Uh, in thinking about what do we need to know about the brain? Uh, we talked about the neural pathways. We talked about ingrained thoughts that just are repetitive uh, and they, they just get stuck in our minds. Here's the here's the truth. Remapping a thought pattern is po- possible, but it's very difficult and it's time consuming, mm. right? So if you've ever tried to change a habit, if you've ever tried to form a good habit, you'll know that, that if you have an ingrained habit, like let's just say, you know, um, Jimbo years ago, Um, when I was very young, I used to enjoy a good nacho plate at the end of the day. Right. Okay. Now, um, you know, just get some cheese, some shredded cheese, get some jalapenos on there get some good tortilla chips. And I would watch, you know, the news and then Seinfeld and I would enjoy what my kids affectionately termed as the nightly nacho, the (laughs) The nightly nacho, (laughs) nightly nacho. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. But Jimbo, the nightly nacho started not loving me. Yeah. I started. I I, I crossed that threshold of when they're the length size of your pants, and the waist size. When when they're the same, you're still okay. But when the waist size gets larger than your length in your pants, you might need to reduce the nightly nacho. I
0: don't. I don't know that my waist size has ever been.
1: I don't know if that just means I'm fat or I have long legs or both, but... You're just sturdy, Jimbo. <laughs> You're sturdy. <laughs> hey, so here's, here's some research. In London, they did a, a research paper and they said this, and this this might not encourage our boot camp listeners who are working with uh, churches, but it said this, that it takes on average about 66 days of repetition to form a habit, right, which changes a neural pathway, uh, but that can vary from person to person. And so some people, Jimbo, can change habits in little as 18 days. And others may, may take as long as 254 days of repetition. Right.
0: Now, in pastoring, and this sounds like a joke, this is a legitimate question. <laughs> Those 254 days, is that 254 Sundays? <laughs> or is that 254 consecutive? Because I feel like changing a habit requires some consecutive... Things and so like I, yeah. I hear that I think that's four years worth of Sundays. I mean, and if you think about it, sometimes that's how long it takes for some people. I wonder. I mean, I I, I say that it sounds kind of funny, but legitimately, is that take 250
1: Sundays? Like, it's going to take you, yeah. 250 Sundays to get people to change. Well, possibly if you only use the pulpit as the there you the prime motivator. So there you I mean, go. we're talking about table ministry and platform ministry, right? So you've got to have both, right? Yeah. And so this is this is really key. So um man, it's just gonna take a long time. So I wanna say this in in to, to our boot campers, one, it's going to take a long time, so you should be positive, like feel like okay, like that's good news. It's ta- it takes a long time to change, which is which is good news, but it's also bad news, especially if you're impatient and your pace preferred pace of change is is for uh, a lot faster. So, how do we make church application of all this brain stuff? Well, let's look at a couple simple things. First, is you just need to know that some congregations are fearful. Bad experiences get stuck in the mind. And so they may be feeling frustrated. And I think your illustration about being charismatic, be afraid of charismatic takeover. And they just perceived your exuberance in worship as something that could be what they did not want to experience again. Yeah. Another thing is church traditions are hardwired in the congregation's collective conscience and they're not easily disrupted, Mm -hmm. right? So tradition, whether that's a Christmas thing or an Easter thing or an outreach thing, um, maybe they have a, a pastor who preaches a uh, a particular way, and so or does a, a particular kind of ministry, and so they just think, well, you're a pastor, you should yeah. probably do that too, and it may be something that's not in your skill set or something you're not passionate about, and it may be an expectation. That's just there's a hardwired thought, yeah. So that can be a challenging thing. Another thing is that the congregations are often hyper vigilant regarding potential threats to their existence. Right. So, man, every time Jimbo, again, going back to the the one of the fears that I've had lifelong is snakes. Like whenever we're out in the woods, whenever it's fall and the leaves are on the ground, whenever I'm taking wood out of the the place where I stack it to burn it in my fire pit, I'm always hyper vigilant. I'm like, you know, moving close, moving, careful, looking and just being very cautious. Church is the same way. They're, they're going to be hyper vigilant to to something that disrupts. A preferred status quo, which they don't sense necessarily as a status quo, but they they see it as something that is stable
0: in their mind. They, a lot of them I've seen in their mind are they feel like they're protecting the church.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They like they're protecting the church from you coming in and changing everything, and then and then leaving. Like they're yeah. part of their fear is that you're going to come in, do things just because it's new and and cool in your mind, and there's not. Real deep strategy or and, and conviction behind it, and then you're gonna move to something else new once they get used to that. Yeah, and so they feel like they're protecting the church by going, "No, I'm not gonna let you do this, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna I'm gonna be the gatekeeper and protect this church."
1: I think that's a, and and some there's some of that mindset's not bad. No, right. If you're just trying the new flavor of this and that, yeah, and trying to to you know just shake things up. Yeah, if that's not just perception, if that's reality, mm-hmm. then that's that's not a good move. No, no. So you, you do need to have thought and strategy, and you need to thought carefully and critically about any changes that you introduce, not just change for change sake. Um, here's another one. The remaining members in a deeply declined church will likely have the same mindset. You know, churches, families start to think alike, mm-hmm. churches start to think alike. And so here's a reality that makes this one very difficult. Most of the folks who are willing to try new things and try to cover some new ground in terms of ministry application, they may not be in the church any longer. They may have grown frustrated and they may have tried and they may realize, we're just not going to change our mind collectively as a church. And so they may have left. So what you're left with is a group of people who think alike, just alike, Mm -hmm. about whatever it is that is... uh, that could be happening in the church. So the last one I would share is changing the existing groupthink is possible, but it's gonna be really difficult and it's gonna be time consuming. Here's something that I struggle with Jimbo, as a a person who spends time around the table with churches that are considering their future. One of the things I wanna do is I I just wanna go in and say, you know what, like here's the charts and graphs, here's your trend lines, here's your history. I did some surveys, here's some of the things that you guys talked about in your history that are painful. Here's some opportunities that are ahead of you in terms of the demographics and there are people to reach around and you know uh, in your community, all those sorts of things. And I just want to lay all that before them in a meeting, maybe two meetings, Jimbo. Yeah I'm ready for them to go, oh my gosh, thank you, right. Thanks for showing up. Like thank you so much for giving us all that helpful information. We are ready to do whatever it takes to help this church move forward. It's not usually how that goes. Uh, no, it's not how that goes at all. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you got to ask yourself, you know, what do you do? And, and I'll just share this one one final application um, with, with everybody. When you are spending time having a conversation with a church, or if you are spending time with your members trying to lead them to a new direction, here's what you've got to understand. That a transformational leadership approach to a stuck mindset has to be Informational, right? Right. Just like the things that I said a a few minutes ago, but it also has to be relational. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Informational and relational help a process become transformational because most of us—that's good. Most of us will process information through relationship, and so I think this goes back to the uh, the you know change or die article that you wrote. Yeah, it takes somebody who is close to you to simply say, man, I love you so much. And I care about you so much that I really want you to consider making these changes because in a health situation, somebody say like, we don't want to lose you Yeah. too early. Yeah. Right. And they probably don't just have to say that once. Yeah. They have to say that more than once and it can't be, Hey, don't eat that fried thing. Right. Lay out the cheese there a little bit, buddy. Hey, eliminate the nightly nacho. Right. (laughs) It's got to be some conversation or some multiple conversations that connect with them relationally and say, man, I love you and I don't think we're done. And I think the same thing with churches. We've got to be able to say to them, hey, we love you guys. Yeah. And we don't think you're done. And so let's have a conversation about what God has in store for your church's future.
0: Hey, man, that's a good word. Um, Man, we'd love to hear how you guys are applying that and working through that as well. Uh, Hit us back up and give us some feedback on that as we all continue to learn together. There's another couple of weeks that you could sign up for the Replant Summit, uh, August 29th and 30th in Alpharetta, NAM headquarters. Bob and I will be there, uh, as well as some other really, really great speakers this year. Uh, Bob and I aren't speaking, but we'll be there hanging out. And we'd, we'd love to meet you. If you're there, uh, come introduce yourself to us. We'd love, love to know that you've been listening and that it's been helpful. And as you process, uh, man, just this wealth of wisdom that Bob has dropped on us today. Uh, let us know your thoughts. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing